What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Kitman Podcast. Thank you all for joining us today. And don't forget to rate us five stars on whatever platform you're listening to. Today, we have a very exciting episode where we're talking about the mighty arsenal and what a wonderful panel we have to join us today with uh, myself, of course, Dillette as an Arsenal supporter. And I have Osmond's Footy Show and Gareth with me. How are you guys doing? I'm good. Yeah. Less, I'm less good as well. Yesterday's result, but still, still happy. Same. Lovely, lovely to hear. And we also have Melina here with us to keep us humble as a Chelsea supporter. How are you doing, Melina? Great. Minus, you know, being 10th place, but it's okay. It's fine. It's okay. This is your chance to just kind of just shit on us a little bit, humble us, make sure mm-hmm. we're not getting our heads too big. Mm-hmm. Of course, your team is in 10th place, but that's not the topic of today's <laughs> All right, well, big game yesterday, Arsenal versus Newcastle. How are we feeling about it? Gareth, I'll let you go first. Yeah, um, I was, we were talking about this a little bit in the group chat. I was really hopeful, but nervous. In the end, it kind of fell on the middle because we got the draw. It's not a disastrous result. It's a good result against a good team. You know, Um, if, you know, we look you know, one of the best teams in the league. Most years, you would, even if it's a home game, you'd be like, okay, a draw is not a bad result against one of the, arguably one of the three best teams in the league this year. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's one of these things where I always just want to keep seeing progress, uh, keep seeing it. So this would have been another sign of that, um, just just showing it that we, we've really pushed forward. But in the end, it's kind of just like, it's it's not like it's we've taken a step backwards, but it's just mm. it's just fine, you know, which is fine. But I was just <laughs> I really, really wanted to see like a win. Um, and we played well at, at points. You know, I think it's one of the better performances I've seen against Newcastle this season. Um, defensively, I think we were decent a couple of shaky moments. But, you know, I think the clean sheet was fair and the same for them. I think they deserve the clean sheet one thing about the penalty is it probably is a penalty you often don't get those though so I wasn't like too angry at it because when I see someone get tugged down in the box especially as an England fan as well because it <laughs> happens every World Cup it would just get tugged down in the box tugged down in the box and never get given penalties uh, yeah. from corners and stuff referees just don't give those for some reason so that aside um yeah it, it was one of those where I was just like it is fine. I need to remind myself it's fine, but I can't lie. I was I was really gutted because I was kind of just hyping myself up that I really wanted the win. But that just shows what's at stake, I guess, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I would say the same. Yeah. I um I was excited but nervous the same as Gareth. I was curious to see how they would break Newcastle down. And what I figured was Newcastle would be a stubborn side to break down, and that's what the match proved to be. You know, I think in the first half, Arsenal were playing out of their press really well, and I think Eddie Howe was smart to sort of sit them back eventually. And uh, I think in terms of like a bigger narrative, I think we learned that this team still has growth to it. You know, there's growth that needs to still be undertaken there in terms of how they're going to deal with frustrating matches. You know, Newcastle set up to frustrate, and I think at certain points, the takeaway I would have is that Arsenal seemed frustrated you know it worked in a a little way you know Arteta on the sidelines the players sort of surrounding the ref and uh, I would hope in the future that they sort of keep their composure in those moments and I think it's just a learning experience for them it's not a step backwards in any sort of way I think we need to shift the perception of the name Newcastle like Gareth said they're one of the best teams Mm. in the league right now in terms of 2022 I think they have the best form in 2022 or at least right at the top 
So, you know, if we took Newcastle out, we, you know, said Liverpool when Liverpool is really flying, you would say, oh, it's a good draw at home. Mm. And I think that's kind of how we should look at it. It's not a step backwards. It's certainly not a step forwards, though. It's sort of just like, you know, it's an okay result. We move on. You take the lessons and hopefully learn from them. Yeah. Yeah. Melina, how do you feel about the game? I agree with everything Azam just said. I just, what I would disagree with with is um, it's not a step forward. I, I feel like all of you are speaking from a place of relativity. So you're speaking relative to this season and you guys are high flying your top of the league. It's the first time in years. And I don't mean that to be like crass or rude. It's the first time in years. Mm. Like you guys yeah. have had this feeling and I just want to remind you, it's okay to, and it's very expected to have draws. And mm. when you pull, put it in the context of your first incredible season after basically 20 years of next to nothing or like nothing for you to cheer for, I, I don't know. I think it is a step forward because if you guys lost that game, then that would be a massive step backwards because mm. like, I don't think, you know, Newcastle are known for their goal scoring prowess. Right. Yeah. Mm. Um, and to not score a goal against a Newcastle side that's only conceded 11 is nothing to, you know, like shake your head at. So I think you guys are still flying. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. By no means was that, I feel like a, a terrible outcome for Arsenal, but no, even, not at all. I just want to say like hats off to Eddie Howe. I feel like he coached yeah. that like pretty much perfectly because I mean, the only way the Newcastle was getting more than one point out of that game was by, you know, one of their, one of their, you know, two forwards that they had staying up kind of going on a, a like a majestic solo run by themselves. Cause they weren't really committing numbers forward after the first half. Cause yeah, as you said, all of them, they, they kind of realized that if they put numbers forward, they're going to get exposed. So, you know, Eddie Howe readjusted and he did something also that a lot of our opponents haven't been able to do, which was su shut down Saka and Martinelli. And part of that was, kind of down to you know martinelli had a bit of an off game i don't think that's crazy to say but they just like perfectly were kind of defending the interchange of positions you know Saka was coming inside and they were able to just kind of keep all of our wingers tracked because you know we commit you know four players at a time to you know one one side of the field like with ease but they were able to keep up with it so well and i feel like if other teams are you know watching newcastle and they see how how they were able to shut that down they're going to be taking notes say this is how we're going to shut down that attack the overflow on one side and that's you know how we need to set up for our games but yeah, no, yeah. by no means was that bad on arsenal though i think we can yeah. keep the game happy one thing i would say about about what you just said is there were moments with saka where he was like just getting past dan burn and i just thought when it, Martin, it wasn't working on the left side uh like zinchenko was good coming in in possession but it's not like he was overlapping we weren't doing anything down that wing um martinelli had a couple of moments where he kind of half did something and we did have a couple of but like generally speaking everything was coming down that right side I think we needed to like get it to Saka more and one thing I've really noticed in this game Xhaka didn't have a terrible game by any means but I did think his play in possession sometimes he was just constantly going out to that left side and mm -hmm. I was like if we had like a right-footed Erdegaard on the other side because the way Erdegaard switches play to the left yeah. with those with those crossfield balls is fantastic if we had someone who could do that to the right where Saka is who's our most dangerous player uh quite frankly um 
I think we could have like exposed them a lot more as it is. Sometimes it goes out to Saka and he's a little bit too isolated. He's there with two men and no real passing option. Sometimes Ben White overlaps or gives him an option. Sometimes Odegaard goes over there, but some, a lot of the time he's just there uh, left isolated. And it's kind of frustrating to see because if we could unleash him more, then he literally could be one of the most dangerous players in the world. I think the only reason he's like, I mean, he still is, but like the only reason he hasn't fully reached that potential yet is because I don't think we get it out of him. I think he's good enough. I think he showed that in games like against France, for example, where he just tore them apart and the only way they could stop him was fouling him. Um, But yeah, if we just unleashed him a little bit more, I think think we would have won that game, to be honest. Either by him winning a penalty, creating something, or just having that space over there so yeah yeah i think when you start when you start with zinchenko and ben white you kind of leave a lot for martinelli and Saka to do on the wings a mm-hmm. lot of times obviously mm-hmm. granite Xhaka can come over and cause those overloads a bit but like you said Saka often it's like his freakish talent and 1v1 ability means that arteta feels like he can sort of sit back in this 235 shape and be more you know pragmatic in how they set up to counter uh to mm-hmm. you know defend the counter and just mm-hmm. hope Saka creates something. But in these tight matches against Newcastle, you feel like he needed a bit more support for sure. Yeah. yeah. I think I think getting the most out of Saka is also to do with the rest of our team, you know, because it's like every, every game almost, and especially in the one against Newcastle, they were throwing two, three players at Saka every time he touched the ball. Mm. I feel like as Odegaard and Ketia, Xhaka, they should be doing more with the with the overload on one side, because they're definitely afforded the space to. Xhaka had plenty of space that game, and mm. he didn't do, he left a lot to be desired there. I'm not going to lie. Him and Odegaard as our eights, they left a lot to be desired in front of goal because, you know, Newcastle had thrown so many players to the wings to cope with mm. Martinelli and Saka. I just feel like yeah. they left it to be desired. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah, Xhaka left his shooting boots at home. Yeah, we got no no Xhaka boom on against Newcastle. <laughs> And, you know, we were, I, I was hoping for it, but he just didn't have an off game. And I guess that kind of brings us into our next kind of topic that we need to hit on of, you know, what are the positives and negatives of the team? And I feel like Granit Xhaka, as good as he is at times, wasn't really the perfect fit for yesterday. And I feel like that's something that we could kind of improve on. Yeah, I think there's a few situations. That game, I was like, we were crying out for another substitution. We only made one, which was uh, Tommy Asu to come on for Ben White. We were crying out for a couple more substitutions, but I was looking at the bench and I was like, I don't really know what I would do here. You could do something and try it, but there's, there was no obvious change. Um, one of those would be, like, if we had Mudrick, it would be great to have brought him on for Martinelli because, like you said, he wasn't having a great game. If ML Smith-Rowe was fit, it would have been nice to have seen him come on and play where Xhaka uh, was. Again, like I said, it would have been nice to have a, a right-footed player there who can cut in and play those cross-field balls. So yeah. those, uh, you know, two things. One, a player coming back from injury. Another one, a player we're heavily linked with that a potential... Um, uh, solutions to that, pro- that that problem but th- there are other things as well obviously it would have been nice if we had um, Gabriel Jesus um, as another attacking option but that's another injury but yeah. generally speaking I just think we need a bit more depth so that because every team gets injuries you can't I, I don't really like using that as an excuse because like I say every team gets injuries so 
when you are in these situations where you do need a substitution or two and you just don't really have the players who are going to change it. You have players who could change it, but no one who's going to come on as a guaranteed option. Whereas when you look at City, for example, if they start with Grealish and he's not working, you know, you can bring on Foden or you can bring on Mares, depending yep. on who starts. They've got those options or in midfield, you can bring on Gundogan and all that, you know. That's what we need to push towards if, you know, winning the league is going to be a realistic thing. It would be quite miraculous to win it with the squad we have we can make a couple of signings this January I'd feel a lot more safe especially if the next few results go well then I'd start getting really confident as it is I'm just looking at it. it's still a long season we're not halfway through and yeah I'm just a little bit worried about those kind of things and in those kind of games obviously still got a draw wasn't a disaster at all as we said earlier but yeah. it did feel like a bit of a missed opportunity to go and get three points because I think in another situation with a slightly deeper squad, perhaps we end up winning that game. Definitely. Yeah. What What other weaknesses do you guys find within the squad? Because obviously there's the depth there, but then even beyond that, you know, our first team players, you know, Martinelli even wasn't having the greatest game. Is he someone that could be upgraded upon? You know, what do you guys I think? think? I think uh, holding mid, you know, I think, Partey has been playing very, very well, but he's one injury away, I think, from Arsenal sort of, you know, fall. I, won't, I don't want to say falling off a cliff in terms of their form, but he's so important to that team. Oh, no, yeah, team. you're not wrong. And I, I would love for them to get uh, some some cover for him or even someone to compete with him too, given all the things surrounding him as well. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Definitely. Get him out. Yeah. That's all I'll say on that. <laughs> Yeah, no, he's he's too vital to the to the system to where we can risk not having a backup. Because once El Nenny El Nenny comes in, we've seen it. We've only had El Nenny start one game, and it's the only game that we've lost this season. It's no secret that we need someone there. But yeah, I can hey, see. Hey. You can do it's, a lot worse than El Nenny. You can yeah, do a lot worse. El Nenny is world class. Let's not let's not put shade on his name, all right? My king. I'm never gonna slander him. <laughs> but yeah, Melina, you look itching to drop some negative opinions on the current. <laughs> Let's 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 let them flood in. I was talking hot shit in the group chat, but whenever I watch Arsenal play, I get this like rage in me because it's just so good. Like I I personally rarely see a flaw, and that's what pisses me off so much that I'm like I hate this, but I love this. Like as a fan, watching Arsenal play is it's like so smooth, so flowing. Everything goes through Odegaard. That guy is insane you guys got him for freaking peanuts and i my club's over here spending a bajillion dollars on people who don't know their left but from their right it's fine <laughs> um but uh one person i did want to bring up that i've been thoroughly impressed with is ben white i think that dude is incredible benny blanco one best nickname ever <laughs> Two, when he comes off it is palpable the difference like, I'm sure Tamiyatsu is great, but when he comes off, it's totally, I think you guys are way more vulnerable when Ben White is not playing than um, when yeah. he, wait, whatever, what was I saying? No, absolutely no, you're right. Whenever Tomiyasu's on, and Tomiyasu's no slouch as well. But no, no, exactly. Yeah. Ben White is just fantastic. I don't think people sing his praises enough. I would kill for him. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I like what you said about Odegaard because he is phenomenal. He's one of the stars of the team. But, you know, we even saw against Newcastle, he kind of struggled physically. And it's it's something that we could potentially improve on is bringing in, you know, 
someone who's a little more athletic, a, a little more physical, and and maybe even someone who's able to get into the box a little bit better. Because while Odegaard mm-hmm. can finish and you know shoot really well, he just doesn't have like quite the same box presence. I know it's rare to find, you know, like an attacking-minded midfielder who has, you know, stature and size. Of course, you know, if if this was a, like an ideal world and I could, you know, go FIFA career mode, get whoever I want, you know, bring someone like Yaya Torre in for like the, the midfielder role. Mm. Yeah, but it, yeah, w- yeah. once in a generation midfielder, you know. <laughs> y'all know yeah. how. No but big yeah. deal. <laughs> yeah, but I feel like that's somewhat of a, of a weakness there is that we kind of lack physicality in the final third. Yeah, I, I looked in that game, especially that second half at times, Joe Linton was just all over some of our players. And a lot of our fans were like, you know, he should have been sent off multiple yellow cards of uh, possibilities. But to be honest, I think he got the one. Um, I think he did. But I thought he was fantastic because he was just forcing our players off the ball. And he was just stronger than them. You know, yeah. it's a contact sport. And it's <laughs> I think Arsenal fans, sometimes we do like a little whinge and we like to shout at the referee. But... To be honest, I think a lot of the things that fans were shouting about, I get it when he didn't referee the game well. It was all over the place and, you know, yeah. it was stop-start and all that. And that get allows fans to get on his back. So I'm not defending the referee. He was awful. Um, and not even just from an Arsenal perspective. I don't think he was great for Newcastle either. Um, but I, I, I think the fans were on his back. The players were on the referee's back. Um, and... So obviously they were going to go after Joel Linton for these more physical challenges, but I think they were well within the laws of the game. And it's just something that number one, he's really good at that. Joel Linton. He is just like mm-hmm. arguably the best. Um, I don't know what the stats say or anything like that, but when I watch him, he seems like he's the best guy to have in your team. If you just want to win the ball back or, uh, you know, cause the team to kind of screw it up in some yeah. way without, actually winning it back he's just such a nuisance i think is the best way to describe him um and yeah so when he's there then on top of that you got bruno gimaraes as well who's again very solid defensively but when he picks up the ball can then uh you know hit you on the counter or take it past a man i do think it was a tough game for the midfield so yeah i wouldn't say it's a weakness within the squad uh, uh so much because Odegaard's had a fantastic season. Xhaka's had a fantastic season. Thomas Partey's had a fantastic season as much as I don't like him or want him in the club. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so like we have a great midfield, but we are an injury away. If Odegaard gets injured, what what do we do? If Xhaka gets injured, that's another big hole. And if Partey gets injured, that's arguably the biggest hole because I think the number six position is the most important in football these days. So um, yeah, to have a midfielder who kind of not necessarily do it all, but can at least play a couple of different roles. And then also, like you said, add that physicality, maybe someone who could um, be a presence in the box as well as, as, a, as another runner, because like you said, Odegaard isn't the best at that. Mm-hmm. I think that would be really helpful. I think a lot of Odegaard struggles yesterday came from also the fact that Eddie Howe was really trying to limit that right half space. You know, they were mm. really doing a job because they knew he was the danger man, which meant we yeah. saw Xhaka in space a lot, but Xhaka wasn't punishing them with that space he has. So if you have yeah. someone who's more creative, like you said, a right footer who can turn and switch play or can just, you know, utilize that space effectively, that's going to free up Odegaard as well. So he's not getting in these physical battles. He's got a bit more space. He's got that half yard to pick out a pass or a shot. So again, that that left center mid, I love Granit Xhaka. I really do. Mm. But he yeah. is in terms of like, you know, you want to take these next steps and start challenging for everything. Obviously, that's the goal for Arsenal. You have to look yeah. at those areas yeah. of the squad where you can get someone a bit more versatile and a bit more mobile in as well. 
And that's how I think, you know, if we can get someone in there that can do those things, you'll see Odegaard continue to perform at an even higher level more consistently, I think. Yeah, for sure. No, absolutely. And and I don't and I didn't mean to say weaknesses as in, you know, these yeah, yeah. are bad at all. I just think in terms of personnel, going into a game like Newcastle, mm. Jacka isn't your ideal player there, you know. Yeah, and yeah. it's also another weakness I had with with the squad and even Arteta's coaching was kind of our lack of um I guess uh, like our our inability to adapt really is what I meant is what I'm meaning to say because yeah. mm. stayed in the same shape, same formation, kind of same angles of passing. And in the second half Zinchenko kind of advanced a little more, took on a more creative role. But even then we just lacked kind of any type of change and that comes with, you know, depth but even you know, our needs to just get creative with it. If I guess yeah. if he's fine with the draw, I'm fine with the draw. But if you know, if we're going for three points there, try something. You know, put Saka as in the left eight role, and throw Marquinhos on the right wing. Just something that'll shake the game up. But yeah. I don't. I guess. I think you know. yeah, you you made a good point there. Is that like we don't really have much of a plan B. Earlier in the season, we did this thing was it against Fulham where we went one nil down. And we went to like a, a three five two, or I yeah. don't know exactly what the formation was, but it was a three back with wing backs, and that kind of worked. And then against United, it didn't work, and he kind of didn't go back to it after that. Mm-hmm. Um, Molina said earlier that you know we're so good to watch and stuff, which is true. But in these moments where we do kind of need a plan B, we need to shake it up a bit. It's kind of like we're so drilled into one system. There's not really a plan B, or there's not even like really options to really change it it's kind of like we just have to trust that this will eventually pay off and a lot of the time it has done but yeah sometimes I'd, I'd like you know just a different option off the bench even if it's not signing someone who's going to be a starter someone who can come into you know one of various different positions yeah. um and can just provide something different which can changes the game and allows us to kind of catch our opponents off guard if, if nothing else you know well, you got to consider too, Arteta's a Pep disciple. And that was a mm. big criticism of Pep, especially at his time at Barca, you know, that yeah. a lot of times he didn't, it's not that he didn't have a plan B. It's almost like he didn't want to have a plan B. He yeah, wants exactly. to beat you in the way that he wants to play. And I think we see some similarities there between Arteta as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Sometimes I even feel that way when I watch Arsenal, it's like, this is a bit too structured. This is a bit too kind of, even though we pass in so many different ways, a bit one dimensional. And it's like, this, <laughs> this is definitely someone who's worked a lot with Pep. Yeah. yeah. That's, I think, what, just to speak on Pep, one of my biggest criticisms or only criticisms, because it's fucking Pep Guardiola, um, <laughs> is that he loves to, like, it's the way they play football is so calculated to a mm. point where it's like, not everything in this sport is quantifiable, right? Like mm-hmm. the reason I think they've been so successful in the Premier League and not really the Champions League is because you win the Prem based on consistency, based on breaking down your opponents and not really that much luck. Yeah. Is you'll see Chelsea's won that thing twice. And both times we have not been the best team in it. You don't have to be the best team in it. You just need a couple moments of brilliance, some form of like good football. And you'll get there like you cannot quantify luck you cannot quantify the like intangibles and i think that's yeah. what Pep does and i mm. really hate Mikel Arteta to do that because as much as i hate Arsenal right now i love Mikel Arteta <laughs> yeah i think i think that's such a good point too because watching Pep throughout the years like you said in the Champions League i think to win the Champions League you have to be able to master chaos right exactly. and the yeah. game sort of 
you know, gets out of your hand or starts to get a bit more free form and back and forth, you need to be able to cope with that. And I think, I mean, watching Barca over the years, those were some of the times when they struggled the most, which was when the game got out of their hands. And you look at, you know, their rivals, Madrid, they are the masters of chaos. When the game gets out of hand, it's almost like it plays into their hands. And I think Pep as well, I think he sort of evolved in that way too, not to turn this into a Pep discussion, but I remember at a while at Barcelona, he always said, my job is to get you to the final third. And at that point, you find the solutions. But I feel like he's sort of moved away from that now where it's like, I want to master the final third as well. I want to master every aspect of the game. I think there's a bit of paranoia in that as well. You know, he wants to retain his position at the top, which means over-calculating every aspect. And we've seen that Mm -hmm. sometimes with his lineups in big games, you know, it sort of screams of, you know, I want to not overthink this, but I want to think of everything first, but you Mm -hmm. can't do that in football. And so, yeah, I agree. Uh, I would love for Arteta to sort of stray away from that while retaining all the good aspects of Pep, but that's obviously wishful thinking that'd be the best manager ever, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, take away Pep Guardiola's one major flaw, yeah. and then just got Arteta. Yeah, I agree. The greatest manager of all time. That's right. All right. Well, let's let's hear. Um, who do you guys want to see come into the team? And I know it's usually kind of an ins and out segment, but this is probably the first time in a while where I can comfortably say, "Got no outs." Every yeah. everyone at the club right now is performing as kind Thomas of Thomas Potter. Get him out. <laughs> oh, with one exception, with one yeah, yeah. for non-footballing <laughs> reasons. Non-footballing reasons, to be <laughs> yeah. clear. Yeah. But yeah, so who 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 can we bring in to solve these problems? As uh, a one... hitter, I just say nobody. <laughs> As <Yeah>. a <laughs> no one. Stay the same. Stay the same. And fall short in the title race. <laughs> Actually, no, because I have you guys winning it, so I can't. <laughs> All right. Well, who do, who? Do you get, okay. <laughs> Gareth Azam. Um, I, I really like the look of Mano Kone. I think he's kind of been, you know, a lot of clubs are kind of chasing after midfielders right now. Um, mm-hmm. Liverpool, Chelsea, blah, 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 loads. Um, I think he's been really overlooked. He's not really being massively linked to anyone, I don't think. Um, I've only seen him play a few times, but I really like the look of him. And I think he's a player that Arteta could mould into so- someone really great. I don't think he'd demand to start right now. And I Again, uh, speaking from purely footballing uh, perspective, I think our midfield is very good, but I would just like an option who can come in, uh, um, who can bring some cover. Kone is one of these players. He's very good on the ball. He's not necessarily someone I think will be playing as an eight uh, later on in his career, but he's someone I think in certain games you could bring him in and play him there, especially if you want to be a bit more solid, because I do think he's you know very athletic and also very technically gifted. Um, so yeah, he's someone I'd love to see come in and ultimately be the heir to Partey, um, hopefully sooner rather than later. But yeah, so that is one, like, obviously Mudrick's there. That's been, that's been rumored, but that's one I would really like to see. Um, I think Mudrick is, or a left winger because number one, we rely so heavily on our wide players. And number two, if Marcelo not having a great game or if he gets injured, we kind of are a lot worse. Um, no backup. Yeah. Either. Yeah. Especially well, Smith Rowe can play that role and can play it fairly well, though. I, I like him more. Or I want to see him more as a central player. And yeah. so, yeah, Mudrick, obviously it, it's being rumored for a reason. They're targeting for a reason because it's one of those positions we immediately need to address. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. For me, I'll go with that left wing and Mudrick obviously is great. Uh, I'll try to go a little bit out of the box here. Someone who I would love ideally, I don't think it'll happen, but if we're being quoted, 
close to 100 mil for Mudrick. I don't think it'll end up there, but I see Shakhtar wants like 88 million or something. Yeah, like that. Mm, crazy. He's a left winger. If you could tempt him, I would love Rodrigo from Real Madrid. I would love to bring him in yeah. because I think that yeah. he is someone who's not starting. That left wing is going to be Vinicius's for a while, and that's where Rodrigo's best at. Yes. If you're going to spend that amount of money on Mudrick, I think Rodrigo, I have, I run out of good words to say about him. He's just, you know, such a lethal goal scorer. He's versatile. He can come inside. He's very good in tight spaces. And I think he I can think play like up I front said, as well. He could play he, up front as well. Yeah. And he could play on the right too, obviously. You know, yeah. that's probably his his beef if you were going to have it with Real Madrid right now. Is he doesn't want to <laughs> play on the right. He wants to play on the left. Yeah, um, yeah. It's not a real beef, but um, <laughs> yeah, I would love I would love for that to be sort of a competition or a left-wing signing as well. Um, yeah. Because Mudrik, he's great, and I would be very happy for him to come to the club. But man, Rodrigo would be a dream. No, absolutely. And, if we're paying eighty-eight million, might as well try yeah. and get something closer to the finished product. And Rodrigo, yeah. yeah, that's a that's a that's a brilliant idea. I don't know how <laughs> what it would take to tempt someone away from <laughs> what is essentially the pinnacle of the sport. But yeah, hey, but if he's like that. if he's not starting, um, they brought in Endrick, which you know is a look to be potentially a striker, but also he might end up getting moved out to the right as well. Vinny has got that left side locked down and Rodrigo could end up being better than him. I don't think it's out of the question, but I think it. if you look at it right now, you'd probably say Vinny's got that locked down. And then there's rumors about signing Mbappe Haaland over the next couple of years yeah. as well. So yeah. if you're looking long-term, they, they kind of be, seem to be looking elsewhere when, I don't know, maybe he'll end up proving himself and I like him as a player. So if he doesn't come here, uh, then I'd like that. But yeah, that it, we were actually linked with him in the summer as well. Arteta is supposed to be quite an admirer of him. So it's not yeah. a bad shout, that. All right. And All I right. think like if you're trying to move from Madrid as well, like what mm. is a more exciting project right now? Especially Arsenal looks, I mean, they're going to get mm. champions in football. I don't want to jinx it. I'll knock on wood um, <laughs> down here. But, you know, you get you have Champions League football. You have a club in the Premier League. I think I think you could make a case. I don't know. I, I hope they do. All right. So my ideal transfer for Arsenal right now is as much as I love Xhaka, I would kind of just want to see a different type of midfielder in that left eight role. Maybe it's a bit reactionary because I feel like him lacking creativity was part of the reason why we tied against Newcastle. But I would love to see Mohamed Kudus from, I think, Ajax, I believe. Yeah. I, yeah from Ajax right yeah I just feel like especially from what I saw from him at the World Cup he would be so perfect there just the ability to get the ball in midfield and drive with it you know finish shoot from distance pass like I feel like that would just be the perfect kind of dynamic midfielder that we need and he's also somebody that you know if need be can drop in a little bit deeper to support because he does have the you know the physical stature that I think mm -hmm. we kind of lack in our midfielders right now aside from Partey but yeah. yeah, I feel like he would be a, a great addition to the team. He can also play on the wing. So if mm -hmm. um, if Saka gets injured, he, you know, he can come in and play that. He's not going to be as good there, but he's someone who can play that role. Um, or if, you know, if we just want to rest, rest Saka, he can come in and that. It's always good to have those players who are versatile who can play in multiple positions. But I like that as a shout. Yes. Yeah, I do too. As a left eight role too, I was just reading that uh, Molina talks between Enzo and Chelsea have broken down. I wish they would just throw some money at him, play Enzo in an advanced role in that left eight. It would be that's so a dream. phenomenal. That's a that's, dream. I mean, that that's genuinely a dream. But again, yeah. some of the monies I'm hearing them quoted from Woodrick, it's like, hey, toss it at Enzo. He's a he's a world beater. But we'll see if that news about Chelsea was actually true or not. I yeah. 
I really want to get him just because I hot take. I don't think Declan Rice would do well at Chelsea. Not because I think Declan Rice is bad. I just don't think the vibe I get is just, I don't think it would be good. I think people are overhyping it because he was at Chelsea as a kid, him and Mason Mountain are besties. Like, and I'm always very hesitant, like with transfers. Um, I hate saying like, Oh, who would I want? Because you never literally never know until you see it. And there's mm-hmm. no way to see it unless the transfer goes through. And especially with like transfer fees, those play like Jack Grealish has caught so much shit. Jack Grealish mm-hmm. does not control how much Man City paid for him. And so I hate, like, there's so many different pressures on like how a player performs at a club. So I, I don't know. I hate talking about who I want at Chelsea, who I don't want at Chelsea, who I want X, Y, Z. It's too much going on. <laughs> I would rather have Enzo than Declan too, though. Personally. I, yeah, yeah, for sure. He's a world beater. Same. He does everything. Which is crazy to say, considering how valuable Premier League proven talent is. But mm-hmm. something about Declan Rice that I feel like everyone is a bit, I don't know, just like turned off to. I don't know, because as good as he is, I don't know if I would love him at Arsenal either. I'm just not high on him. I, I understand he's fantastic, but I'll, I watch West Ham play and I'm like, if you, like they're so bad with you in this team, like what are you offering? I don't know. Maybe that's like going way out of depth and disrespecting him. And especially with like a defensive mid role, you never really know how good a holding mid is until that person is not playing. Like, I think it's the most underappreciated role in all of For sure. I think it's also one of those that at the elite level, I was having this conversation with a West Ham fan the other day. And I was just like, at the elite level, I'm not convinced by him at all. I was actually having the conversation of, um, whether like Enzo was worth a hundred million and then he brought up Declan Rice. Uh, so it's funny that we're kind of having a similar mm. conversation now. Um, but yeah, no, like I think Enzo, like uh, um, I automatically just want to call you Azam. It's just, okay. it's like in my brain now. <laughs> uh, I'll try and call you Azam. Um, uh, but yeah, like you said, um, Enzo can do everything. And I said it on, I think it was the last podcast, that Enzo in that final was so good. And it just, it just screamed to me. I was like, uh, if you can just come into this team and just automatically do that at that level with those stakes, and you know he wasn't necessarily playing in his favorite favored position there either. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it was so impressive, so impressive. Where, whereas I look at Declan Rice, and it's not that he doesn't do anything. It's not that he's bad. It's not that he doesn't do it. Um, it's just that at the elite level, is he that midfielder who's going to really be worth that amount of money? Enzo, I, I can pretty much guarantee will be because he's twenty one. You get minimum a decade out of him, if not more. Um, mm-hmm. you, it's like. If you go back to when Luka Modric was 22, 23, would you sign him for 100 million? Yeah, you would. I think Enzo is that for the next generation. So Yeah, and Enzo, like you said, you know, he he likes to play in that pivot role. He's progressive there, but he's so Mm. creative that Scaloni was considering retooling themselves to play him in that advanced role, you know, and he did. He got more advanced, you know, he was a bit advanced against Poland, against Croatia as well. Uh, mm-hmm. so yeah, you sign this guy and you can plug him into pretty much any position in your midfield and he's going to do the job. All of you pause yeah, off. I, know. <laughs> <laughs> I want him in Chelsea blue. I think he's going to try and force a move on like him himself. Um, yeah, he, him, once N'Golo's fit, him learning from N'Golo. Oh my God. <laughs> I will not complain ever again. <laughs> One thing I'd say, this is a bit of a hot take. I think he would be 
wasting his career if he went to a club like Chelsea. It's not that I think that Arsenal oh. are so much better or even that he should come here. I think if he's just a little bit patient, he'll be at Real Madrid. He'll be at a Barcelona if they can get enough money. He'll be at an elite level club. And it's not like a diss to Chelsea. I call them like a B-level club because, you know, Chelsea fans go, oh, we won the Champions League, so we're like Real Madrid. You're not. You're not you don't have the pull of, you don't even have the pull of a Man United. Um, and I'm not saying Arsenal are that either. Enzo could be at truly one of the world's elite clubs. Chelsea are a mess right now. Yes, he could go and sort that out. But I'm not even convinced it's solely a manager issue. I think there's issues bigger than that, potentially, with Bowley. Um, if 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 Abramovich was still there, I'd go, yeah, go for it, because he's going to sack someone, bring someone else in, and he will make sure that success keeps rolling. I'm not sure Bowley knows how to do that. Um, so, yeah, I don't want to make you know Chelsea fans too sad, but I'm... I'm just, it's more a thing of like, you don't know what Chelsea are going to be for the next decade. You know, a Real Madrid or whatever, if you know, or a top, a really elite club is going to be there. And that's where I want to see Enzo. I think he's one of the best. Um, I also don't want to see him at a rival. So that's also. <laughs> but at like a Real Madrid, I don't know how they've, they've, they have too many, too many, whatever. He'll walk that's, into it. He'll walk into the team. I don't know. I, I think at Chelsea, you, one, I think he wants to play in the Prem. Two, you know yeah. you're starting because those bombs are terrible. <laughs> um, but on Todd Bowley, I think Dillette knows. I hate Todd with a burning, burning, <laughs> like the rage of the fire of a thousand hot suns or whatever the saying is. I hate him yeah. um, because he fired Tuchel. And I think Tuchel is a top three manager. Like, hot take. He he is. I think he is. Um However, even though I hate him, I believe that there is a plan. There is a vision. I just think these Chelsea's problems are not new. Like we've had these problems mm. for so long. It's just that Roman never addressed them. His way of addressing it was, oh, you've lost five games on the trot. You're out. It wasn't like a, let me invest in the squad with the manager. It was mm -hmm. just give me the best player on paper. It was never a data-driven thing. It was never a strategic thing. It was always 18 months to prove yourself. And if you start shitting bed, you're out. And then I'll just bring in 60 million, 70 million, 80 million pound forwards who literally can't do shit. And that's what I'm looking for to Todd. And that's what I think Todd also wants. I think he's being very picky and very strategic which I appreciate. Um, I just don't think one Graham Potter is the manager for it. Um, not to make this about Chelsea. I know we're talking about Arsenal, but <laughs> we've got off track. We'll, we'll get back on topic in a second. Yeah. It's all right. Um, but yeah, I think Graham Potter is just like his yes man. He'll do whatever Pod wants. And I, I think Tuchel was very like hmm. digging his heels, heels in, you know. Tuchel but, yeah. is notoriously difficult to work with. Yeah. The only downside, I think, because I agree, like, I think tactically, I think he's a phenomenal manager, but actually managing a club is more than just the tactics. And he always seems to find problems everywhere he goes. Not that he can't sort those out. He could find the right club. But yeah, I love to, I love Tuchel, though. I'd love him at England if Southgate did leave. Yeah, I don't know. For me, Todd Bowley, just based on everything I've read about him, it's like, yeah, he fired Tuchel, and that obviously, you know, angered a lot of Chelsea fans. Clearly, Molina's <laughs> angered a lot of Chelsea fans. I hate fans. that, brother. I hate that, brother. <laughs> but for me, it's like I do respect the idea that he is trying to shift Chelsea to be more sustainable long-term. You know, I think when he came mm. in, based on what he read, 
he wanted to have a through line with the manager. He wanted different departments to coordinate with each other. And Tuchel's very much of like, leave me be, let me do my work. And he mm. realized his vision for the club didn't align with the manager like that. So it sort of seemed like it was in line with Chelsea's past of, you know, hey, it's not working, you're out. But in reality, I think it was more of like trying to set them up for something more sustainable. Whether that's Graham Potter, like we said, you know, I, I, I was very excited to see Graham Potter go to Chelsea just as a neutral, you know, mm. but he is, you know, these steps up can sometimes show whether someone's cut out for the high pressure environment of top level management, you know, at Brighton expectations are mm. not as high as Chelsea and Graham Potter, you know, he might thrive in those situations and not thrive in these high pressure situations. We'll see, but I am interested to see what Todd Bowley does with the fact that he's trying to just revamp Chelsea's model as a whole for something more long-term and not the sort of scattershot approach that Abramovich had going forward. It could work. It might not, but we'll see. Mm. Mm. All I'm hearing is they need to model their club a little bit more like ours. Yeah. <laughs> patience. Arteta has shown everyone that patience is a virtue. In this yeah. In just this keep, keep, keep Graham Potter there and just keep, yeah. no matter how bad it gets. If you're, yeah. you know, if you're finishing eighth in the league, just keep, keep him there until you start doing well. I told Bola and Rohan last time, like, as a fan base, we are not used to growing pains. Um, mm. First to say we need to go through them, but I hate it. <laughs> I'm in the middle of growing pains. <laughs> And I literally like watching them play. I'm like, bro, y'all do not give a fuck about this club. So yeah, it's all right. We we took about 18 years to to you know <laughs> restructure our team. But yeah, I guess back back to Arsenal though. Any other transfers that we would like to see coming in? Ah, uh, I would love to see an improvement. Uh, not an improvement, but more competition for the left sided center back as well. Uh, Gabriel is mm. great. I really really like him. I think that there was times where I was curious about him but he's i watch him and i uh, you know i'm not as worried as i used to be but i still yeah. would like some um competition there someone who's a bit more calm i would say um at times but yeah i think he needs to be pushed a bit more but other than that i think you know gareth touched on what they need very well yeah yeah on on that evan indica has been linked yeah. um when yeah. i've seen him you said calm when i've seen him play he didn't strike me as massively calm, but that is like probably two or maybe three occasions. I'm not sure. I don't watch much Bundesliga. Um, but yeah, like, so he didn't, he didn't completely convince me. But if if the club go in for him, if they're interested in him, then I trust there. Because again, I've watched like two games. <laughs> what would you think about Pau Torres, Gareth? I, I, uh, I don't know if he would work in the Premier League. I've got yeah. a similar theory about Kim Min Jae, who a lot of people are hyping up for Napoli. I think he's great in Serie A. Uh, today, for example, against uh, Inter, I don't think he had a great game. Um, and I think it's one of these things. Some players in some of the European leagues, you can get away with it a bit more, especially playing a high line in the Premier League. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm just, I'm not convinced by him. I'm not convinced by Kim, who is another name that people have mentioned uh, yeah. that Arsenal could go for. Um, yeah, I, I love Kim at Napoli. I think it, it works brilliantly there. And, you know, I've watched a fair amount of Villarreal and I like him. Um there i think he he'd be a great player for like barcelona or something mm-hmm. um you know i'm not sh- maybe not in the champions league i'm not sure because i'm yeah i'm very unsure about Pau torres basically but especially in the premier league not who i want yeah it just i could t- rewind time oh sorry do I keep going oh i was just saying it just takes a lot to play center back for arsenal right now the way mm-hmm. that the way that we're playing what we were kind of demanding from saliba and gabriel mm-hmm. it, it takes a lot so it'll be very difficult for us to find 
you know, anyone who's going to be able to compete for those positions just because of what we do. If I could rewind time, I wish they would be successful in getting Lissandro Martinez. That would have been phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. Even left back or left center back. Absolutely. Yeah. Phenomenal player right there. Okay. All right. To, to wrap things up, how are we feeling about the league, guys? Is it Arsenal's to, to lose? <laughs> it's Arsenal's to lose because we are top of the league. So from that <laughs> perspective, it is. Are we going to do it? I've been very pessimistic since the start of the season. Well, at the start of the season, I said, if we can get 80 points and finish fourth, that would be an amazing season. As it's looking like if we don't do that, I'll be massively disappointed. Expectations change, but yeah, I'm still not convinced. Um, it would depend on who we sign, I think, um, and how these next couple of games go will tell us a lot. Oh, yeah. But I'm hopeful you know and i haven't really well the last time i was hopeful was when the year leicester won the league we went we beat them went top and i was like now we'll win it and then we like bottled like loads of games and and well we did finish second in a you know two horse race that we ended up not being in so that was good good old tottenham um but yeah like even then it was like danny welbeck up front you know it was hard to be fully convinced whereas now there is evidence there and we have done well over a very, you know, consistent period. Now, mm-hmm. the one thing I'd say is what's always happened with Arteta thus far is we'll have a really good run. And this one's been longer than other ones have been, but then, you know, an injury comes and then the entire team falls apart or we just go on a, a, a bad run for another reason. So we could hit a game of five, six matches where we lose three, draw two and win one, for example, um, and then you're dropping a lot of points and yeah. yeah, but as it stands, we have a nice little gap, so we can afford a couple of slip ups, but yeah, so Very I'm going to, I'm going to strap myself to a prediction and I was going to get carried away and say yes, but my honest opinion right now is I don't think we will win the league, um, wow. as much as I really want to get deluded and hopeful. All right. Yeah. So- for me, ah. It's like there's so many scenarios where I would think, based on the evidence we've seen so far, yes, Arsenal will win the league. I want to be confident about it. But two things. One, the fact that we had a condensed schedule going into the World Cup. Then there's a World Cup. Then there's time off. Now there's going to be sort of a condensed schedule to end things as well. There's, things are going to come fast. And we've already talked about Arsenal's depth issues. And the fact that they're just competing with Man City, who I know, you know they've been dropping points here and there. But Pep and Man City, especially in the league, are always ready and poised to go on a crazy run, especially with this robot up top that they have now. And so it's just like keeping pace with Man City will be so difficult. And the squad depth worries me a bit. Like Gareth said, an injury here or there could cause us to drop points. And, you know, the gap, what's it? It's going to be five points now if City win. Um, Mm -hmm. So it'll be tough. I'm worried. I'm worried, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna stay confident and say, yes, they, they, they do it. They, <laughs> they go on a great run and they, they keep the pace and win the league. Love That's it. the difference between me and you. I think me and Azam said the same thing pretty much, but he came out with a more positive outlook and I <laughs> shrunk into my English pessimism. <laughs> All right, Melina, where is Arsenal finishing? You guys are going to win the league. And I have, I'm going to tell you a story. Um, my best friend in college from college is an Arsenal fan, big Arsenal fan. And 
Um, I distinctly remember sitting with him in his living room watching Arsenal Chelsea play and Chelsea was waxing you guys as was the case many, many years ago. (laughs) (laughs) And he was so sad. And I was like, dude, you're going to win the league in like two to three years. And he was like, no, we're not. And I was like, yeah, you are. Like, I see the foundation being built. Like, Mm. so hard to see when your team is playing like shit, but like, you have to separate the game and the vision. And I think Mikhail always had the vision. It just takes a while sometimes for the vision to come to fruition, which is what the growing pains are. And you see it now. You've lost mm. one game all season. You just drew to the, you played the third team in the in the league and you drew them nil-nil at home in like a bloodbath. Like, yeah, that's what it's mm. about. And I firmly believe Arsenal will hold on. I don't think Arsenal will bottle job it. I, they're not Spursy. <laughs> if it was Spurs, it'd be different. But I, I don't know. I think you guys will go the distance. I want to add one more thing too. I would say that something that's helped me with my optimism around it is actually in Ketia the past few games, because yeah. that was a situation of like, Hey, we've lost, you know, our marquee signing from the summer uh, can, you know, our backup plug in and do a job. And I've really enjoyed watching him. And that mm-hmm. speaks, I think, to the strength of the system as well. You know, the best teams, I think when you have a really strong system and players with clear direction on what they need to do, even players who might not stack up quality-wise can come in and do a job. And so mm-hmm. that could address some of the depth issues, but also January is very important. What they do in this month is important for reinforcement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. This month yeah. will definitely make or break our title chances. What do you think, Dillette? Honestly, from the bottom of my heart, Arsenal are winning the league. <laughs> like, without a doubt, they're winning the league. But honestly, I'll be happy with, like, as long as we're contending for the title until the very end, I know it would make it like way more painful, but I'll, I'll be very like pleased with Arsenal to see us contend for the title all the way to the very end. But that being said, we're winning the league, so that doesn't matter. <laughs> I all love right. it. Any, any lasting thoughts? Just that the only person who said that we weren't winning the league is English, which just sums us up. <laughs> <laughs> lovely lovely then again arsenal fans are typically deluded even the english ones tend tend to be you know Mina did a terrible job of keeping us humble she's feeding into our delusion yeah Yeah. i know this is very positive i I feel like i was the most negative here (laughs) i am a hater at my core but real recognize real and when you see something that's legit you got to call it out and legit yeah enough all right well thank you all for listening today be sure to tune in to the next episode where we will be talking about our top 10 best strikers in the Premier League. And you will be very surprised to hear how close Enketia and Holland are. <laughs> All right. It's been Dillette, Gareth, Molina, and Ozum's Footy Show. Thank you guys for watching. Peace.